Normally, there'll be a, a guy named Frank up here. Uh, you'll see me maybe eight to ten times a year. Uh, he, he's the main, uh, main guy. He's out of town. And I actually, I want to say something, too, because he's out of town. I said this in first service, but it'd be good for all of us to hear. Um, you know, Frank, a uh, couple other people as well, but Frank, for the most part, kind of single-handedly, I wanna, really want to say this. Um, man, this guy has rescued uh, m- my life and career in ministry. Um, he, from, from kind of the background, and, and I would even use the word tradition, in which my wife and I come from, uh, the pressure and the, the people that, that we were around was just this weight that was killing us. And we'll talk a little bit that in, uh, about that in a little bit. But being around Frank, um, Frank, you know, redemption providing Frank is an opportunity here to, to mentor me, walk me through what it looks like to be healthy. Um, and sometimes it's, it's crazy, right? So a, a lot of you guys don't know, but um, I would say a month and a half ago during first service, there was a guy who had come up while Frank was preaching and he came up and no one knows what this guy's going to do, right? So he comes up and I'm like on the side and I'm giving it one of these, okay? And he uh, comes up and he entered, you know, he's like, I just want to let you know, I don't care what anyone says, you're great. And we were just like, what is going on right now, okay? Well, afterwards, Frank takes this guy, he, does, he takes communion with him, he talks with him, um, and he, he wasn't all there, but, but I say that because for the most part, I think in my past, I would have looked at that and be like, this guy's putting on a show for the rest of the church so we can all see Frank do communion, but here's the deal, the dude is legit, like that's officially, like that's who he is, um, he's, not, he's not putting on a show for anyone, and he's got that, you know, gray slick back hair, those tight jeans, and I'm just like, bring it in, Frank, you're the real deal, um, so anyway, I want to say that because he's not here, um, and I want you know, every now and then I'd like to compliment him. It's, you know, it's hard to find, but it's there somewhere. Um, so anyway, uh, before we get started, you can open your, your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. It's my job real quick to give you guys some announcements. Um, uh, they'll be real quick. This Wednesday, if you have nothing to do, we have a Christmas Eve service in here, 6 o'clock. If your family's in town, just come. We'll have some food, a little bit of food to eat. We'll share what we're thankful for. Um, the man who's usually downstairs leading worship for our kids, uh, Jim Ellis, will lead us through some hymns. It's going to be a really great time that starts at 6. Um, the other thing is keep your eyes open uh, for a card that looks like this. Um, every year we as a church come together and we like to give a Christmas offering, um, kind of go above and beyond what we normally give and give to our community in one way or the other. Um, last year we bought a tractor and it really blessed the people that we had given it to. We're splitting some things up, kind of um, going here and there with it uh, because we feel like there's a couple opportunities for us to give together. Um, one of the things that you'll see, you'll see kind of two columns. One is money, the other is items. Let me start with the items. Some of the things that you are wondering, like maybe I can't give money but I have things to give. We want to give some tangible things that will help refugee families families um, that we work with. Josh Prather heads that whole thing up. So if you have any questions on what those things look like, it's on here. Tangibly for money, um, we're given to two things here. So redemption, foster care, and adoption. We want to help those who don't have money or the ability or um, the means to adopt. We want to help them. So as a church, we want to come together. And the other thing is the First Way Pregnancy Center. Uh, I went there yesterday and checked out the facility. It's a great facility, and they're doing a lot of cool stuff in regards to uh, kind of fighting abortion and what that looks like. So um, really jazz about that. Anyway, that's the, the Quick thing. Uh, let's do this. L- let's look at our Bibles real quick in, in Romans, um, and let me give us a brief kind of synopsis of where we've been and, and where we're going. Um, I, and I'm not going to do the whole book of Romans, but let me pick it up from chapter 6. So we have been in Romans for a long time. I don't know exactly how long, but to, like we're in chapter 7 right now, and we still have like a year left, okay? So we, we've been in it, all, and we're like going slowly through this beast. Um, and in chapter 6, everything he's been in at this point, in chapter 6, he, he came up with this idea of what life looks like when it, when it is to be in union with Christ, okay? So he, he comes on the scene and he pegs um, four ideas with four separate questions and he begins to ask, um, 
what about this? No. What about this? No. What about this? And the questions he's asking is, they revolve around this idea, if I'm under Christ now, then why do I even need the law? Like, what's the law have to do with any of this? Okay? And he pegs these four questions, and three of those four questions have to do with the law. They're asking, well, should we get rid of the law? Is the law sin? Frank had brought up one of those questions and, and unpacked it for us last week in verse 13. Did that which is good, the law, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful uh, beyond measure. So he's pegging all these things with Q&As and um, I, I thought it would be good for us to kind of stop because Frank has touched on it. To, let me just, before we even get into our text, maybe explain what the law is. Um, I don't want to patronize anyone. I'm not, I don't want anyone to feel stupid, like, duh. But I, I, I think it's safe to say maybe not everyone in this room knows what we're talking about when we say the law, okay? So let me go Prince of Egypt on you real quick and talk about what happens here. There's a, there's a place, a, a time, this really happened, a story where the people of God are all together, and they're in this place called Egypt, this geographical location. We still know where it is today. They're in Egypt, and they're in slavery, Okay? Well, then you got Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey. They're singing, if you believe in miracles, right? Okay? And so they, they sing their way out of this, and they go, this exodus, and they leave Egypt out of slavery. God rescues them as they pray. They, they get out of there, and there's more than a million people on the scene. More than a million Israelites are here. They've been in slavery their entire life. So for 400 years, so at least everyone who's been alive up to this point, who's being um, removed from Egypt, has been in slavery. So more than a million people have been told when they can go to the bathroom, where they can go to the bathroom, when they can go to sleep, when they should wake up, and now they're free. And so a part of their hearts goes hog wild. They, they end up, you know, lavishing themselves in idols. They end up not wanting to do. They complain over and over. So what God does is he provides this track, this kind of guardian, this law, okay, where he basically says, here's how I want you to act. And there's some 600 laws. This is the Mosaic law that he gives to his people. And they're, they're super practical. They're things like, when someone dies, like, don't just throw them outside of your door. Go take them outside of the camp and bury them. Um, when someone dies and you, 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 they die in your hands because you're working on them, don't just turn around and hang out with a leper as he dies and then deliver a baby, okay? So there's all these cleansing things, right? And then there's these moralistic laws that um, Frank talked about, like this coveting. That you don't covet. You don't lie. And then on top of that, there's these ceremonial laws. This idea that when you mess up, when you do covet, when you do, don't follow the right rules, here's how I want you to get back in the camp. Here's what I want you to do. So there's all these different laws. Now, that's really important for us to understand, but right now, here's all I need you to hear. Paul looks back at those laws and says, that's good. That's all we need to know right now is as we hit our text that Paul makes the declaration, the law is good. Now, now we're not under the law, we're under Christ, so, so how do we handle this? And he's going to come back to the law, what the law looks like in the Christian life, um, but right now, all I need you to know is that the law is and was good, Okay? Let's go to uh, our text, Romans chapter 7, um, verse 14 and 15. And I want to say this before I read this. Um, there are some um, verses in the Bible, some, some chapters, stories in the Bible, that um, they don't necessarily just tell us what to do. Like we get an opportunity to read them and, and learn crazy things about them, right? It's like we wear bracelets, like what would Jesus do? Because it's not just what Jesus said, but what he did. And we get to see that as an example. And sometimes we get to read these stories and we get to see at the heart of those stories, there's a freeing nature. There's this idea that, that I don't have to have it all together. 
and, and, and today our, our text, though really confusing, bipolar at times, um, has a tendency to push us in the direction of um, freeing us up and not weighing us down, okay? Because I, I've heard this text preached and it weighed me down like I have to work hard, and I feel like it's, it's projecting in the exact opposite direction. So let's go to our, our, um, our text, 7.14. This is what it says, Paul declaring this. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am un- of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not, dang it, I always, it's unbelievable. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. This is going to be great, okay? Um, so here's what he's saying. From the beginning, he's saying, here's what I know. I cognitively understand that when I look at the scripture, that the law is spiritual and it's good. Now, I also know as I hit Genesis 3 that I'm broken and I'm of the flesh, Okay? But if we just see it as, here's what I know, we're going to miss what Paul's going at. Because he affirms what he knows with what he experiences when he says, for, so what is that for there for? For explaining what he's saying before. For I don't understand, when I want to do something, I don't do it. And there are times in my life when I don't want to do something, and I do it. And Paul brings this to a relational level where he says, Listen, it's not just what I know. I've experienced this. This is Paul talking. And, and he goes on. He goes on to say this because uh, it, it's, it's, you know, it's beautiful because he's saying like he's looking at us and it's not, just, it's not just seeing Paul, but I think when we read this, we like resonate with this, right? Like why am I doing these things? Because Paul's looking at us and he's like, you know, you're hot and you're cold. You're, you're yes and you're no. You're in and you're out. You're up and you're down. You know what I mean? And so what we learn in that is, is two things. He's a huge Carrie Perry fan. Like, he's going to roar in a second. And then the second thing is that in this moment, we see that he does have indwelling sin, that he's a sinner, okay? And so as we continue along this, we can read that through that lens, right? So um, here, here's, here's what he says in verse 16. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, hear this, but sin that dwells within me. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, because the Spirit obviously is good, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Gosh, Paul, now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Breathe, man. Breathe. Like, we get to see the Apostle Paul, not from a nostalgic type of viewpoint, but to see a broken man saying, I have this indwelling sin, and I'm doing these things I don't want to do. And maybe for some of you, this is old hat, but I can't tell you how freeing this idea is to my wife and I. Like, spending the time in in, in what I talked about before, where, you know, we get saved in high school, we're we're kind of working through it, and I eventually become a pastor on staff at this church, and and, um, there's all of a sudden this weight, like, I'm, I'm starting to feel this weight, like, well, you know, you, you, we're, we all admit that we're sinners, but, but we're not that guy. So all of a sudden, like, I'm covering my sin with sin. I'm covering the fact that, man, like, I have sin, but I have to act like I don't have sin, which is pride, and it's just sin on top of sin. And the worst part is, some of the things that I feel like God has called me to do, just like, man, I'm struggling. Like, sometimes I think things that I shouldn't think. I do things that I don't, and I don't like it about myself. But if I confess that, there would be this, whoa, 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 why don't we talk? What do you, what do you mean? I think it might be time for you to step down for a little bit. It's like, dude, I'm, I'm broken. Like, what do you want from me? And for us to like, you know, we read uh, Romans chapter three, 
Verse 23, it says, for all have sinned, this past tense, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we miss that in Greek, it's like this present tense, or for all have sinned and are constantly falling short of the glory of God. Like over and over, I'm constantly falling short of the glory of God. And, and so we're going through this, and then I pick up the Bible, right? And I'm starting to read these heroes of the faith, and I'm realizing everybody's jacked up. Like, I'm, I'm coming across Noah, the dude gets naked, and, and lot, he, well, he gets drunk, and then he gets naked. That was like half of you last night. He, and then Abraham, just a, a ridiculous liar, he lies about his wife, who his wife lies. They together have a son, Isaac, who lies about his wife, okay? Just liars. And then they have a son who's a filthy thief, okay? The irony of this whole thing is we're given the law to, for, like, through the lens of the people of Israel, they're called the people of Israel because there was a man named Jacob, Isaac's son, who had his name changed to Israel. So we have the Israelites, the sons of Israel. Well, he only got that blessing to have everything come through his lineage because he stole it from his brother. They should be called the Esauites, okay? But in this moment, like, he, he stole it. He's a thief. And it doesn't end. Like, Moses doesn't stop complaining, loses his temper constantly. Aaron loves to build himself some idols. Miriam can constantly combats against Moses. Well, at one point, Miriam and uh, Aaron team up to go at Moses. It's all bad. Set, like, Samson is a sexually addicted hedonist. Uh, it get, doesn't get any better when we get to King David because he loves to sleep with other people's wives and then whack the, guy he, the wife he sleeps with, right? And then he has a son, okay, who with all of his wisdom, the wisest man to ever walk the earth, takes all that God gives him and essentially, like part of my language, becomes this man whore essentially for women and for everything that he has. Everything. And it doesn't end like over and over. We find out that Jeremiah is, he's a complainer on top of being a bullfrog. We, we see even as we roll into the New Testament, we see that, I didn't, okay. So we see that, that, um, as we get to the New Testament, we see this idea kind of continuing to go. We have Peter, who's like a prideful coward. Half of the disciples see Jesus. He's raised from the dead standing before them, and they still doubt. Some of us would be okay with seeing baby Jesus, but these guys see resurrected Jesus. There he is, and you're like, I don't know, man. Like, you were dead. Now you're alive. Ah, what else you got for me? There's this idea of like what, like over and over there's this doubt, and I'm reading like scores and scores of people, and I'm seeing God flex, and, and I'm not doing this to insult these people because I think we all stand there. God over and over uses morons to accomplish his will. It is freeing because we get to our text today, and we see Paul is in the same struggle as Samson, is in the same struggle of David. I want to do these things. God, I want to follow you. But there's this deep and dwelling sin that I'm trying to fight. And like, like I'm, I'm going at this and I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And I do it. And, and, and I want to do that. And I want to do that. And I don't do it. And there's this breakdown over and over. And, and I hope that is freeing to you. Because there's two walls we need to understand as we, we come to the gospel. This first idea is that it's not you. And, and, and then the second idea is, is a reflection of that first idea, what that does. And we'll get to that in a second. But I, I want to read something. There's a guy named... Francis Schaefer. Um, hey, Josh. Josh, can you check in the lobby for me, man? There's a guy wandering around. He's acting kind of weird. Um, sorry. Um, there, there, there's, there's a book uh, by, by a guy named Francis Schaefer, um, and it's called No Little People. And essentially the book is, it's okay, he's good. He's just, they got it, good. No one's on fire or anything. I didn't mean to, he's just heading down towards the kids' areas. So I was like, well, I better bring this up. Um, He's okay. We're good. Um, so there's a, there's a book called, uh, it's by Francis Schaefer, and it's called No Little People. 
And in this book, um, it's, breaking, it's, it's basically about how God flexes with all these people who really don't bring anything to the table. And in the midst of this, in the third chapter of his book, he provides this freedom in, what, in which it calls like, for us to, uh, to, to understand the depths of, of God's grace. So, so let, me, let me read a, a quote from you real quick. This is what it says. It says, Many feel that the Bible should portray a romantic view of life, but the Bible is actually the most realistic book in the world. It does not thoughtlessly say God's in heaven and all is right with the world. It faces the world's dilemma squarely. Sinless perfectionism is terribly cruel, though, because it expects the impossible from people. These expectations are not based on reality. They stand in opposition to genuine human possibilities afforded by the realism of Scripture. So he says, when I read the Bible... Um, I, I don't see this sinless perfectionism, get it all right. I see broken people. Like, I see we can't get it right. But there's an image. Maybe you guys have some seen, it, and it's, a, it's two arrows going this way. And, and the first arrow, it starts with this small little cross. Um, and I don't have the image, so I'm just going to do my best to be animated about depicting it. Uh, depicting it. So, so it starts off basically this idea. When you come to Christ, God is sending you in this, this trajectory. He's, he's putting you in this direction. And, and you have, at that moment, you were headed. Um, you could see the depths of your sin. And there's a little cross that kind of sits between these two ideas. And from there, we can see this momentum moving that as we go over and over and over, we're seeing not necessarily how awesome we are, but as we grow as Christians, we're really seeing how bad things really are. Like the depths of our heart, God is revealing and revealing and revealing, showing us, wow, this, this is all bad. And in that moment, it's not that we have this little cross anymore, and it's not that we look across that chasm and say, thank God I'm not that person anymore, but we are helpless. We are forced to think, I have to have a big cross. I have to believe that grace is wide enough. Let me depict it a different way. There's a guy named J.R. Packer. He, uh, he's a phenomenal theologian. He provides tons of um, books for us in the, in the Christian community and Christian faith. And he talked about when he got saved in Oxford, um, he got saved, he said he felt like the scales fell off his eyes and there was this renewing that took place, right? Um, and then he said, uh, shortly after that, um, he wanted to put a bullet in his head. He said he wanted to kill himself. And he said, because after he got saved, um, at Oxford in the time, there was uh, this, this movement happening that was, it was basically this uh, instant sanctification process that we're told that is, if, if we are a new creation, then you shouldn't be dealing with all this sin. Like, if you're a new creation, then you shouldn't be, sh- shouldn't be uh, still, still dealing with lust, you shouldn't be having that, you shouldn't be going these directions, and he felt so helpless that he was just going to go home and kill himself. And, and he talks about this idea that it wasn't until he read Romans 7, this passage, and as he read it, um, he, he began to, like, feel the weight off his shoulders and understand that, that it was so much more guys like John Owen who, who commentated on that. And, and there was this freeing effect to that, right? Um, I, I want us to feel the weight of what that looks like because I think some of us are walking in that. Um, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read to you real quick in Psalms 32, um, a quick passage. This is written by David, the guy who loves to sleep with other people's wives. This is what he says. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So he starts with this idea, hey, I have iniquity, I have sin, but I recognize it's covered, and I'm, I love it. I, f- I feel blessed about it. But here's the, the antithesis of this, okay? For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my heart. So, so here's what's awesome about all of this. David recognizes, when I know I'm a sinner, and that you forgive me, 
I can breathe. Like I, like, I get it. But when I try to hold it in and act like I have, like, the Jesus cape on, and I act like everything's good and I'm super Sean, then I feel like I'm drying up inside. Like, I'm, I'm so, like, I'm messed up, man. Like, I even, even, like, printing stuff off for this sermon, I punched the stupid printer because it wouldn't print. Like, I have anger issues. Like, I, I don't get it right sometimes with my kids, not all the time with my kids. I don't get it right with my wife. I just, there's, there's a brokenness about me. And if I sit there and act like, no, 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 all is well, like, so we'll come to church, like, how are you? I'm good. Bro, who are you lying to? Who are you lying to? And I'm not saying be the guy like, hey, how are you? How long you got? Come here, okay? But I, I'm saying like, hey, when, 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 when time comes and it's hard, like what, what facade are you putting up? Because God's not looking for this perfect person. It's, a, it's like a hobbit. It's a unicorn. It doesn't exist. So, so we can see as, as, as we roll forward what his declaration here, Paul fully um, engulfed with this idea of, man, I'm broken. I need you to get this. I need you to get this. We're broken. We're, we're broken, and Paul feels this, and, and we get to read the Apostle Paul um, explaining his battle within, okay? And then he goes on uh, to say this in verse, uh, what are we at, 21. So I, find, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And I said he was going to come back to the law, and what essentially we get is as we look back to not just the Mosaic law, but the, the law, the law of Christ that we follow in, Galatians 3 is going to tell us that the Mosaic law was like a tutor, okay? And we had talked about this. We've used this example over and over. The law very early was not to fix anything. It wasn't bad. It was like an MRI machine. We've used that example a couple times now. The MRI machine didn't break your leg, bro. It just showed you that your leg was broken. And so what the law does is it shows us that we're broken, Okay? And in the midst of being broken, in the midst of seeing this brokenness, um, we're, okay, this is, I need you to put your thinking caps on with me for a second. We, we have two opposite errors that we can run into with this, okay? The first error is we can see the law and we can fall into perfection, um, prideful, um, mega man. We can fall into, I have it all together, and I joke around about this a lot, like, like I don't watch this, I don't do this. I, you know, in, in a lot of our experience, there's, there's, we are playing at a Christian softball league. Um, yeah, yeah, it wasn't very good. So we had a Christian softball league, and we are at our church. We were there as a church team, and won, we won the, the championship. And the guy, just a guy, this guy who had just been coming to church for, for a little bit, he says, man, that deserves a beer. That's all he said. He was asked to leave the softball team. He was asked to stop serving at the church. He just said he was going to have a beer. You know what I mean? And I'm like... I'm going to have a beer, you know? Uh, I'm not, because that's totally sin. But I, like, so, so he, just in this moment, just saying that he's going to, there's this, like, I don't do that. Like, sin is cooties. And so we act like we're good. This is it. I have it all together. And it's the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. I've been here for so long. Why don't you give me? I deserve this. There was a football player maybe three years ago, a, a wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills, who had, there's a long pass deep towards the end of the game, and it drops right out of his hands. Like just, so, oh, and I'm a Bills fan, so I'm watching this, and I'm like, no. And so he drops the ball. Well, later on, he tweets, and this is literally what he tweets. He tweets, I go to church every Sunday, I give my tithe, and I read my Bible, and this is how you repay me, talking to God. His, his, now, now listen, like, that is, that is the, 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 the way that we think of our relationship with God. Maybe not, we wouldn't admit it, okay? But subconsciously, we walk on eggshells like a stepfather. If he hears me, 
If he hears me, instead of someone to be cultivated, someone to be loved, instead of someone to come after, Hosea promises that one day, this is what God tells us, one day you will no longer call me master, but you will call me husband. He makes this relational. But no, we, we, tend, to, we tend to walk this thing out. No, I, I have to get it right. And if I do all these things, then you owe me. This is us. And we forget that we're, we're fully, like, dropped in immersed in grace and we are all on cosmic spiritual welfare and there's nothing that you can do about it because grace is there you don't deserve it so so the first snare is like prideful contentment right but i want to spend some time on the second way because i feel like um this is the direction a lot of us head the other is um like this this defeat defeatist mentality like fatalistic hopelessness like we see, like, I'm, I'm just never going to be able to beat this thing. I'm just, I'm never, I, I've been dealing with this sin over and over. I, I, we talked about this in um, our community a while ago, and we talked about, like, if you pretended your, tr- your, your heart was a, a square, like, just pretend your heart was a square, and God's voice is like a triangle inside that square, and as it begins to turn and turn and turn, the tips of that triangle rubbing up on that square, rubbing up on that square, over and over, and we're feeling that, feeling that, and then eventually, because we're not responding, we're not, ah, just pushing it to the back, over and over, that triangle begins to get whittled down, begins to get whittled down, begins to get whittled down, over and over and over, and it's whittling, 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 until eventually God's speaking, but we've just chosen not to hear it anymore. And, and the other side, the wall, so there's this, like, I need, I, I need to recognize that I'm saved by grace, but this other idea is found there in the text we just read, that it literally wages war. The Greek says, soldiers against. That I don't see this sin and know that I'm going to sin. It's like, well, I'm going to sin. It is what it is. No, that's the opposite of the gospel. Um, I want to read two, two quotes from Charles Spurgeon for you, okay? He's this pastor who's in the 1800s, just a legit cat. He, he um, the dude's the man, right? And so he writes uh, this, this uh, thing up on this section, and I want to read it for you, and it's kind of long, but I want you to stick with me, and he talks about the reason why we do this, the reason that we essentially um, let that triangle whittle down, and he, he talks about it, the fact that we are separated from it. So a lot of us don't feel the weight of kids that are hungry in this world and will die today because we don't live there. Like, there's genocide happening today. But we, we, we don't really think about it. You want to know why? Because there's a removal of us in that. And that, that's what we do with the war. The war that's within us. Like, th- there's a removal of, of, yeah, I don't really need to battle. Like, uh, yeah, and we remove it completely. And we forget that the battle is very real and it's going on right now. Let me, let me read uh, what Charles Spurgeon says about this, talking about this distance removal. Um, it's really good. Just check it out. Now it is distance which makes you feel less intently about this fight. The right forgets the wrong because, because it is so far away. But suppose now that right and wrong live in the same house. Suppose two such desperate enemies are confined within a narrow house. Suppose the two compelled together are going to live together. Can you imagine to what a desperate pitch of fury these two would get into with one another? So he says, let me stop real quick. He says, so I want you to imagine that your spirit and your flesh are living in the same house together. Now, I don't need you to imagine real hard because that's a reality. So I want you to imagine that's happening in a house. Two enemies living in the same house. He goes on to say this. The evil thing says, I will turn you out, intruder. I cannot be at peace as long as you are here. I cannot riot as long as you are here. I cannot indulge as long as you are here. Out with you. I will never be content until I slay you. So, so the flesh says, as long as the spirit keeps telling me to do these things, I can't do what I want to do all the time. 
what I feel, what I want. I can't do it. Leave me alone. And this is the response of the Spirit. No, says the newborn nature. I will kill you. I will drive you out. I will never rest until I can sing complete victory over you and totally eject you from the house of mine. This is what he, he responds to. They are always at an enmity with each other. They are never friends and never can be. The evil must hate the good, and the good must hate the evil. My, uh, my, my boys, uh, Corbin just turned six, and Titus just turned four, and um, teaching them to navigate their emotions is unbelievably hard. Like teaching them that they cannot do whatever they feel like, and, and and I'll just, uh, let me step out and say this. As parents, we need to be doing this because they're going to spend the rest of their lives with Joe Arpaio if we don't, okay? So we need to teach them, listen, there are things in this world that you cannot have. There are things in this life that you should not do. You have to control yourself, buddy. So Titus, when he was real young, he loved to like just grab people's neck and go, okay? And I'm like, psycho, okay? So he's, he, he would always do this, whether he was happy or mad or whatever it is. So when someone would take something from him, he would grab their neck. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's going to go to jail. Okay, so he, he, he would speak in a choking. And I had to work with Titus over, I know you want to grab their neck. I don't know why, but I know you want to grab their neck, okay? But sitting in that, like, buddy, listen to me, look at me, okay? I know you want to do that, but you can't. And so when someone would take something from him, he like, you could see him. His hands do this, and he like clenches up, and he's very angry. But he has to control himself. From a very early age, I can see the battle waging war within him. I can see that everything he wants to do, discipline is not an easy thing. And that's what it looks like. And it's tough, and it's hard, and it wages war, and we're to soldier against. Because if we've seen the true beauty of the cross, there's... Listen, there's no other option. There's no other option. Complacency to sit back and say, yeah, I am who I am in Christ. He's my Savior, but my Lord, I, that's not an option. That's never been a possibility. He, he goes on to say this. They're saying, uh, waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells within my members. He says this in verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So Paul, at the end of his rope now, says, man, I'm fighting, I'm trying to war, but I, I'm, oh, this, this is terrible. Like, I can't get it right. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I, wa I want to read, I said I had two quotes from Spurgeon, I want to read another one for you. Um, and this is what he says on this, okay? He says, we now come to notice the weary fighter. He lifts up, lifts up, lifts up his voice and cries out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? It is a cry of a panting warrior. He has fought so long that he has lost his breath, gets it together one more time, and prays, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He will not give up the conflict. He knows he cannot. He dares not. That thought does not even enter his mind, but the conflict is so sore. The battle is so furious that he almost is defeated. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? His strength has failed. He has been sorely beaten in battle. He feels that without God, the help of God, he is totally defeated. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then there comes a cry from the old nature. And it says, ah, none can deliver you. I will destroy you. And the poor fainting soldier cries one last time, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? It seems hopeless. 
And I believe that sometimes the true Christian may think himself hopelessly given over to the power of sin. Let me stop and maybe say this. Maybe some of you in this room right now are saying, yeah, but I don't really feel that. Like everything that's talking about, everything the text is talking about, I don't, uh, I mean, God and I are cool. Like what are you talking about this battle within? What, what, okay, he goes on to say this, just so you know. There are some of you who say, I am never disturbed by this war. He says, then I am sorry for you. I tell you the reason of your false peace is you have not the grace of God in your heart. Because if you had the grace of God in your heart, you would surely find this conflict within you. Do not despise the Christian because he is in conflict. Despise yourself because you are not. The reason why the devil lets you alone is that he already knows you're his. So, so for, for some of us, no, uh, God loves me. God loves me. I'm, I'm good. And, and you don't want to stop sleeping with your girlfriend. You don't want to stop sleeping with your boyfriend. You don't want to give your money. Yeah, I said it. You know, talk to Frank about that. I won't be, you know, okay? Yeah, there's boxes in the back that us as Christians come together and give to. Like, we don't want to get in community. No, listen, God has called us together to do these things. There are things that the grace of God thrusts us towards. And if we don't feel the weight of that, hear me, then you need to know you don't know the grace of God. You don't know the grace of God if you feel complacent in where you are with God. No, we're cool, man. No, you're not. No, you're not. Like, he loves you because he loves you. You're an image bearer of him, and it's based on grace. And we sit and fondle the very things that he died for. (laughs) Wage war soldier against. May, may, we, may we be um, responding to grace in such a way that we, we go at this, this lustful, prideful body of mine. May I fight it and not hopelessly give in. Not let it go and say, I'm, I'm done with this. And it's not easy. Paul provides the answer to all of this. He says this, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I can't beat this thing. But thank God, thank God, and I I, I mean, thank you God, that you sent your son, and it's through him that I have grace. Now what's so crazy about this right on the heels of the fact that we thank Jesus Christ for doing what he's done, we see then, so I follow God with my mind, but I serve the law with my flesh. Like this, this is, so um, Cromwell, maybe some of you guys have heard that name before. He was a general in the, the London, um, the London uh, Revolutionary War. And uh, he believed wholeheartedly that, uh, that he uh, was given by God the victory. Like, he told his soldiers this, and he presented it in such a way that he believed that God had given him over this war. And it's reported that his men fought so fiercely, um, more than any men on record uh, in England at the time or in past. And the reasons, the reason they would believe so is because they knew, hear this, they already had the victory. So it was because they believed it was already theirs, I'm going to get that thing. I'm going after that thing. And it wasn't, well, okay, so we're beaten. We, we got this thing. Well, let's, let's do this then. No, it's, this is ours? There's a confidence that rise up and not a defeatist mentality. 
There's something that we, in this moment, we recognize wholeheartedly that it's like Peter, we're falling down in the water, and we don't act like a dolphin as we swim up, but Jesus reaches his hand down and picks us up, and it's by grace that we're saved, and that makes me want to get back in the boat and try this thing again. No matter how many times I fail, my sanctification is not based on works, just like my justification wasn't. So to put it simply, I'm not saved. I don't spend eternity with heaven based on what I do, and I'm not made holy based on what I do. It's the Spirit doing something within me, responding to the grace of God. He is everything. He's taken everything from you. The, the, the poetry of all this thing is that there's not chapter and verse um, headings, right, in the, in the, the real uh, early uh, uh, Greek editions of, of the Bible, in the early manuscripts. And right after this, I wanted to read this to you. Right after this, we find in Romans uh, chapter 8. Sorry, I was uh, flipped over to Psalms. Romans chapter 8, we says this, So there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of the sinful flesh. For sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, so, so we get, like Frank's going to unpack that more, and I hope I steal some of his thunder there. Um, so we get this idea, and as we hit Romans um, chapter 8, right after this, a wretched man who that I am, but thanks be to God. Like, who's going to save me? God's going to save me. We get into this, like, there's no condemnation there. Breathe. Maybe some of you guys have, like, a past that you feel like you're still trying to hold it together. Like it was you being baptized as a baby or something, or you being here right now, or you not watching rated R movies, or you not drinking, or you not cussing. Maybe there's this weight of like, I did these things wrong. Breathe. There's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. It, Jesus defeated the law, it, it's done. Now, in this moment, that motivates us, that pushes us in the direction to fight for what we already have, which is our righteousness. So good, so poetic, so motivating, so love-driven. What we're going to do is uh, I'm going to pray for you, but before I do, um, I want to give us some instruction. Um, I'm, I'm going to pray, and then uh, Josh Prather is going to come up, and he's going to lead us in our time of communion. But um, as the band comes up, they're just going to play for a little bit. Um, I want to give you some time uh, to kind of process like, like, what, in these two lanes, like, how have you treated the law of God? Like, what God is, like, do you feel like when you do it, God owes you something? Or, or, is, or is it motivated by grace itself? And then, and then what, what sins in your life have um, you've just given into? That you've let that triangle dwindle down so much that you know it's, it's speaking, you know it's there, but you, you can't hear it. So we're going to take time just to do that between you and the Holy Spirit and see what the Holy Spirit has to say to you, and then Josh will lead us in communion. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for who you are. We're grateful for your cross. We're grateful for um, the beauty of what you provide for us in that cross. We thank you, God, that the law, being a tutor, led us to the direction, uh, led us in the direction of showing us that we can't get it all right. We can't do it all. Um, and now we're under Christ, who fulfilled the entire law, who never messed up, and now offers us grace in wanting to follow that law. It's, it's uh, God, thank you for that. We thank you that uh, your grace is enough. I pray that as we leave here, we'd be mindful of the fact that, uh, Jesus, you, you truly did pay it all. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. 
may we wage war against the sinful nature within us for you. In Jesus' name, amen.